I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What is happening, everybody? It is the Wong Takes on this bright and sunny Tuesday, April 16th, 2019, here in the Bay Area. And boy, do we have plenty to talk about this week. We got NBA playoffs, we got the Masters, uh, and more. And I'm very excited to bring it to you here today. This period of time when everyone uh, starting to, at least my point of view, figure out where they're going to college or where they're, what they're going to do with the rest of their life. Um, and it's been a chaotic time for a lot of our listeners, but I hope that this podcast can immerse you in the world of sports for a little bit so that we can uh, let's, ha- let's have some fun. And actually, I mean, got a lot to get to, uh, so let's go into it. And the beginning is the NBA playoffs started this week, actually a few days ago. And we're going to run through each series, talk a little bit about it, um, and I'll maybe by the end make some predictions. And so let's get underway. And first, we're going to start in the Western Conference, and we're going to start with my Golden State Warriors coming off of a 57-win season the first seed in the NBA's Western Conference. And they faced, or will continue to face, the Los Angeles Clippers, who, after losing their main core of Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, and Blake Griffin, who all have left at various times, Paul to the Rockets, of course, Blake Griffin to the Pistons, and DeAndre Jordan to Dallas, and now the Knicks. Nevertheless, with a scrappy bunch, oh, and also trading Tobias Harris, now they're just a scrappy bunch, and yet they're hanging in there with the Big Bad Warriors after getting the 48 wins this year and the 8th seed. They have tied the series with Golden State. Golden State took the first game in Oracle, in the final season at Oracle, 121-104, and the Clippers staged a 31-point comeback and took the lead with 15 seconds left in the game to win 135-131. to Now for the Warriors, as the season started coming to a close, we it didn't really look like the Warriors had a super favorable matchup coming into the playoffs. I mean, they didn't want to face the Spurs because Popovich. They didn't want to face Oklahoma City because Russell Westbrook can go off at any time, and that's prime for an upset. And I don't think they wanted to face the Clippers either because they have kind of a a tough mindset to them. And they knew they would be the underdogs coming in But if the Clippers continue to play like this, it has the feel almost of a we-believe type thing, but in the opposite direction. 
I mean, I know the Clippers believe. Lou Williams, their highest scorer, he's been a sixth man his entire life and still is, had a 36-point game last game and almost single-handedly brought the Clippers back into that game. Montrez Harrell, even though he also comes off the bench, has had a monster game uh, as well. And so the Clippers have that chippy mindset to them, led, of course, by Patrick Beverly. And we started to see in Game 1 Patrick Beverly getting under Kevin Durant's skin, and in Game 2 to having a similar effect. I mean, Kevin Durant only took 8 shots in Game 2. 8 shots. And the way you stop a 7-footer like Kevin Durant, who can shoot the ball, is you just don't let him shoot, or you get him irritated where he doesn't shoot. And that's exactly what happened. And so that's the formula for the Clippers is to hope Steph and Clay don't have large nights and to prevent Kevin Durant from being the dominant player that he can be. Also, it was significant that DeMarcus Cousins went down um, because we're starting to get back to the same problems of the Warriors having to find a, a presence inside. Kevon Looney did have a big game uh, with 19 points off the bench, but I don't know if that's the type of production you can consistently get. Uh, 20 or 19 points in 19 minutes. The Warriors are going to win this series, I think, in five. But nonetheless, it exposes how you can beat the Warriors by getting under their skin. Uh, and, and the Clippers put on a clinic at the end of that game. Um, And so it's going to be a tough road for the rest of the series for the Warriors. Um, But ultimately, they just have too much talent. But the loss of Cousins is a serious one. I think it's something that we're going to continue to see the effects of uh, throughout the rest of this playoffs. Meanwhile, the Spurs beat the Denver Nuggets. The seventh seed beat the two seed uh, in the first game of that series, and they play again tonight. And that's what I uh, said um, about the Spurs. I mean, they have experience through their coach, uh, and they know how to win games. I mean, in game one, they had five double-digit scores, all uh, their starters, I believe. DeRozan, White, Aldridge, Forbes, and Gay. Uh, Actually, I'm not sure if that's all their starters, but regardless. DeMar DeRozan is going to have to lead this San Antonio team to the promised land uh, because... If you look at their lineup, their playoff experience as far as their stars is not what it used to be, or not not ultimately what it was in the past. I mean, no longer are the days of Parker, Duncan, and Ginobili bringing a combined like 50 years of playoff experience in. Now you've got Derek White, who's new, Forbes, fresh out of Michigan State, and then Rudy Gay. Who is a who's for a lot of time been a role player, and then Lamarcus Aldridge, who's only had his experience with the Spurs. DeRozan is going to have to take charge uh, of this team, and he did in Game One: uh, 18 points, 12 rebounds, six assists, four assists away from a triple double. Now Denver, meanwhile, let's see if their lack of playoff experience, which is more pronounced than San Antonio, is going to come into play. I mean, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, uh, 
and and Jokic, um, and those guys. This is their first run as a favorite in the playoffs. I mean, I, if I remember, they were on the bubble of the playoffs last year. This year, they come in with so much more, so many more expectations that I don't know if they're going to be able to. Well, they're going to be able to pull it together. They should win the series, but it's a good test for them to get Greg Popovich uh, in the first round because they need that early test, um, and that's what. Then, and the Spurs are not going to hesitate. Uh, to bring it to them. Trailblazers beat the Thunder in Game 1, 104-99. This is going to be a really entertaining series because the Blazers kind of flew under the radar this year. I mean, they're normally expected to be, you know, the fourth or the fifth seed, and this year was no exception. They were the third seed, uh, albeit, but um, not a team that stood out to everybody. Nevertheless, they got really good production from their backcourt uh, in game one, 30 points from Lillard, 24 from McCollum. And I think Enos Cantor was a big addition to that team to be able to, when you're with shoot, when you have shooters, rebounding is massive. Um, and that's what he brings, as well as just a kind of uh, tough attitude. Meanwhile, the Oklahoma City Thunder are an exciting team, as always, with Russell Westbrook, Paul George, uh, and the like. I'm excited to see this series. I think Russell Westbrook has the potential to shoot them out of a playoff game. Uh, he always does in the regular season game, but in the playoffs where you have guys that maybe want to take over a little more, uh, that, that could be a little more pronounced, and so that's why I worry about Oklahoma City. Um, and it's too early to tell in the series who's going to come out on top. But Blazers having home court advantage is going to be big because both of those teams have raucous home crowds. Um, and that's why I think it's going to be one of the more exciting first-round series and that's that. And the 4-5 uh, matchup. The Houston Rockets, who were expected to be a two-seed, uh, and the Utah Jazz. Now, James Harden is a volume scorer, as always, and he will continue to be in this series. And I don't know if Utah has a real answer to him. Uh, I mean, maybe Ricky Rubio, but they don't have too many elite defenders. And so I think James Harden is going to try to take over this series. And in the first game, he took 26 shots, 11 for 26 from the field, 4 for 10 from 3, to a run-of-the-mill 29-point performance for him, at least. Uh, and I think Houston is going to be able to win this series. It's kind of disappointing because I'd like to see Gobert and Mitchell go, get on to the later rounds. But I think they're going to need another... Uh, star if they want to advance to the next level as far as the uh, NBA playoff run goes. Top over to the Eastern Conference, the Bucks and Pistons. Milwaukee Bucks led by the Greek Freak, uh, as always, had a great game in Game 1, 24 points, 17 rebounds, and 4 assists in a 25-point win against the Pistons. And it's a great it's great that the Pistons made the playoffs. But with Blake Griffin hurt, uh expected to miss the first round series, it's gonna be really tough uh for them to match up with the Bucks and Giannis. Uh there's just no one like Antetokounmpo in the league who's like a taller Kevin Durant. I don't know. <laughs> um 
Especially if Giannis is able to develop the long ball, which he is really starting to get toward. Uh, he's going to be very, very dangerous. Uh, and I'm excited to see how uh, Milwaukee is able to play out the rest of that series. Next, the team that I think might uh, advance out of the conference, the Toronto Raptors against the Magic, actually suffered a defeat in Game 1. 104 to 101 in Canada, in Toronto. And that's a little surprising. But uh, I think Toronto's too talented. They've got too much uh, offense in the form of Kawhi and uh, Siakam, who's been probably the most improved player in the league this year. Uh, 24 points from Siakam. And I'm excited for Orlando and their fans. They get to see a playoff team, which they haven't seen in a long time. Uh, and also, you know, Aaron Gordon, who made himself known with the dunk contest, uh, finally getting to taste the playoffs as well. I think Toronto is, just being the two-seed, obviously, but between the pickup of Kawhi Leonard, which has definitely been a net positive for the Raptors, um, the depth that they have there, I think that's a possible uh, team that can advance out. The Sixers, who struggled toward the end of the year playing the Nets. And I'm rooting for the Nets. I mean, well, not rooting. But I'd like to see the Nets do well um, just because of the feel-good story. I mean, kind of like the Clippers. They're a bunch of guys that really weren't given superstar chances. D'Angelo Russell, who came from L.A., uh, of course. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, who's been a productive player for a long time, a lot of people just haven't really been paying attention to. Karis LeVert, uh, out of Michigan, I remember from his uh, Michigan days. But nevertheless, uh, it's uh, it's the Brooklyn Nets, the fun team against the Philadelphia 76ers, the team full of first round, first overall picks, and Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris as well. It's too bad that this team struggled at the end of the year because they're a really good roster. I mean, they have a really good roster. This has, they have, their roster, I think, has one of the higher upsides uh, in the league. Between Embiid, uh, Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, uh, of course, that's your front court. And then J.J. Redick, who I think was a, uh, under the radar, really good pickup for them. Uh, that's a team that is prepared to compete, not only now, but in the future with Embiid and Simmons uh, in particular. And that series heads to Brooklyn now, and I think Brooklyn's going to be raucous for that series. So I'm, I would love to watch those games. Uh, and finally, as we've come to the end of the first round, the Celtics and the Pacers. Celtics beat the Pacers 84-74 uh, in Game 1. And the Celtics come into these playoffs with something to prove. Because uh, they struggled all year. And Brad Stevens and Kyrie and sa sa said as such. And if they don't advance far in these playoffs, they're going to have to answer a lot of questions about the future of this team. Because that would be two years with Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. Um, albeit last year they were all injured in the playoffs. But this is the first year with Irving and Hayward fully healthy. And if they can't make a deep playoff run, there's going to be a lot of soul-searching. Uh, there, because their roster has so much ability that there's really no excuse not to make a deep playoff run. And despite their tough uh, regular season, they still got a chance. 
Um, Indiana is going to be a tough series, but without Oladipo, I mean, in the playoffs, you need big time players. Um, and I think Oladipo's loss is more pronounced in the regular or in the playoffs than in the regular season. So if I had to give my predictions, I made some predictions at the beginning of the year. I don't remember what they were though. <laughs> um, but either way, Warriors. I'll say Warriors in five. I'll I'll say the Nuggets in six. I actually think the Thunder are going to beat the Blazers in seven, but uh, that that'd be my upset probably. Rockets in five, uh, Bucks in four, Raptors uh, in five, Seventy Sixers in six, and the Celtics in six. Those are my first round predictions. Uh, the playoffs are great not only because we get to watch intense basketball for two months. But also, and perhaps more importantly, we get to watch Inside the NBA like five times a week or three times a week. Uh, and it's always great when you can have more EJ, Shaq, Kenny, and Chuck on your television screen. So we'll be following the playoffs for all of the next two months. Um, and I'm very excited to do so. Second major topic today is the Masters. Full disclosure. I have not completely watched the Masters. Uh, I was away this weekend doing various things. And unfortunately was not able to watch the final round. I taped it. I have been watching it the last couple of days. I'm not totally caught up. I'm on like the 14th hole. Um, but I wanted to see that firsthand because obviously the big story, the champion of 2019 wearing the green jacket, Tiger Woods, Tiger has not won a, ma a major championship since 2008 and has not won a Masters since 2005. Think about that. In 2005, the iPhone had not been released and the financial crisis hadn't happened yet. 2005 was a long, long time ago. And to win Masters that far apart at Tiger Woods' age, not even regarding the various surgeries he's had to go through, is remarkable all the same. And he continues now. We can start really having the conversation again about his march toward history. I mean, a lot of people were... I mean, people brought up the whole, like, he's X amount of majors away from Jack Nicklaus. But... People, never, people kind of considered that number to be static, and for a good reason. He would look horrible for a while. But now we can really start to say, okay, now he is three majors away from winning the most Masters ever, and now he's one win away, uh, one PGA Tour win away, from becoming the winningest PGA Tour golfer ever. And this is the... Second act of Tiger's career that maybe makes him officially the best ever in many people's eyes. I mean, one thing that never ceases to amaze me, and I've mentioned this in a previous episode, is the way Tiger commands everything. I mean, ESPN literally like has a guy to follow Tiger, and when you show when they show golf coverage, the first thing they do is show what Tiger did. Um, I mean, and, and for good reason, because he draws numbers. I mean, I watch the majors pretty much exclusively. And in the majors, I don't necessarily, I don't root for Tiger. I mean, 
it, it's it's awesome to see him win, but I mean, I'll watch it even if he's not in contention just because of the drama that comes with high pressure golf. But a lot of the reason that people follow Tiger Woods or that the media follows Tiger Woods with such fervor is because people do as well. Um, and the image in the 18th of the PGA Championship and all that, people follow him. And the crowds, one thing that struck me in particular is uh, on the 12th hole, uh, the river separating the green from the fairway and it's a par three. Molinari, who's two up at the time on Tiger, hits his ball into the water and the crowd makes the loudest murmur I've ever heard. Tiger was like, whoa, and it's almost a happy murmur because the crowd is rooting for Tiger. I mean, you can tell. They're doing everything short of clapping, basically, uh, because the guy just hit one in the water. And that just showed me that even amongst the, the larger golf fans, the people who go to the Masters, people here in America root for Tiger. Uh, and so that was just one thing that, that testified to me the impact that he has uh, on everyone in golf, really. And people were commending him after for his performance, fellow golfers and all that. And people do that anyway, but for Tiger especially. Uh, and so he continues his march toward history. And I'm really excited to see if he is going to be able to win some more golf because I'll never get tired of watching him compete at the highest level because it is something to behold. And I'm really excited to watch the rest of the holes later tonight and tomorrow um, because the energy, the electricity in Augusta um, must have been crazy. And just watching the highlights, I mean, it was crazy. So thank you to Tiger Woods for, uh, I don't know, put it on a show. And thank you to the Masters for hosting another great tournament. And they'll run it back again next year. Quick take via Scott Pulasic of Bleacher Report. Demarius Thomas has signed with the Patriots on a one-year $6 million deal. This is not too huge of a, a, a deal. I mean, Demarius Thomas definitely adds the uh, physical threat that the Patriots wide receiving core hasn't had for a while. Uh, it's mostly built around speed, quickness, just running routes, do your job. Um, but Demarius Thomas, he's had some off-the-field issues. He's struggled a bit since uh, leaving Denver and going to Houston. Uh, but I think he has a chance to really rebound uh, here in New England. I mean, the Patriots have a history of improving the players that they have, taking players that may have some questionable off-field issues, um, and get the most out of them as possible. I mean, one of the guys like like Gronk, I mean, if he wasn't with the Patriots, obviously he was with the Patriots his whole career, but if he wasn't, uh, would he have had the same success? And We'll never know the answer to that question, but it's something to consider. Um, and I, I think Demarius will have a good role to play in New England. Uh, as long as Tom Brady's there, I mean, receivers will always thrive. Um, but Demarius Thomas standing at, what, six foot three or what is it? Tall dude. Uh, and, and he's going to have a good season, I think, with the Patriots. And 
he'll help them uh, make another deep playoff run, uh, I, I would think would end up being the case regardless of what you think is going to happen with them. Off topic, we're going to talk about food again, because I love food, if you haven't noticed. And uh, something that I've had my eyes open to over the last few months, and that is with regard to tacos. Because for the first 17 years of my life, I had only known the American-style tacos. You know what I'm talking about. The Taco Bell uh, meat lathered with cheese, all that good stuff. And I had had other tastes of like authentic Mexican tacos. Um, but I hadn't had the truly, I, what I, I think are Mexican, authentic Mexican style tacos. And you've got this new, and I, I tasted those, and they're just amazing. I mean, the way the meat is cooked, and the tortillas are kind of a little crunchy, but also soft still. Um, and just the onions and the salsa and all that stuff. And so we've got a new food court uh, near where I am. And I'm not a huge fan, but they do have an authentic taco place. Boy, those are amazing. I mean, if you have not tried them, try them, like, as soon as possible. The way that the simplicity of it, it's so simple. It's literally just meat, onions, cilantro, and salsa. And it's not like the, you know, pico de gallo style salsa salsa pico de gallo style salsa that you see in a lot of places these days this is like liquid salsa and they don't what what my favorite thing is about it is that everything is in the right proportions they don't lather the salsa so that it's overbearing and the only thing you taste and the meat is flavorful enough that you don't need to do that in the first place it would taste gross if you did and the onions add a crunch, but they're not also overpowering on the taste. I mean, I don't really like onions um, as currently constructed, mostly because I don't like the texture, but also because they I don't like the taste, really. Uh, but having a little bit there when you're expecting a crunch is nice. Um, and uh, the cilantro, I'm sure, adds something. I just don't know. But either way, if you have not tried those style of tacos from the Wong takes here, Please do, um, and if you can't find any nearby, uh, I'm sorry. Um, but also, side note, uh, I was away this weekend, and I had, for the first time in a long, long time, Popeye's chicken and uh, Olive Garden. I know they're both chains, but boy, they were really good. It makes me wish that we had them here. Um, that's a side diversion, but... It's something that I needed to say because Popeye's is really, really good. Thank you so much for listening to The Wong Takes. Check out the podcast everywhere. Bit.ly slash The Wong Takes. Patreon.com slash The Wong Takes. Wong Takes at gmail.com. Rate and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Any questions, leave voicemails. Thank you so much for listening as per usual. And I will see you next week.